Lee Vartan is the lead defense attorney for Rabbi Usher Eisenman, founder of Shai, which is a renowned special ed yeshiva in Lakewood. And this past week, Mr. Vartan and his team celebrated a huge victory when a judge vacated the guilty verdict against Rabbi Eisenman, called for a new trial. This ongoing saga has gone on for years. It's been devastating for the Eisenman family. And Mr. Vartan, thank you very much for being here today. My pleasure. And congratulations on this huge thank you. win. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, the, the entire community, Jewish community, obviously is thrilled. And before we get into the details of this case, is it fair to say that there's no real evidence uh, of any wrongdoing on the part of Rabbi Eisenman? The case was essentially fabricated. I, I think that's fair to say that there is no evidence of criminal conduct that I've ever seen in now five plus years of being involved with the case. Unbelievable. I mean, is it is it just a, a witch hunt? Um, when, when we were, it's hard to say, right? I never want to put myself in the place of a prosecutor. Right. I, I can certainly say, and what I did tell the court on um, Friday, the 8th, when we were there for oral argument, th- this has been, um, I called it a slipshod investigation. It's been one of the worst investigation and prosecutions throughout that I've ever seen. And we never hit anything from the prosecutors. And so let let me just talk about like a very basic piece of the case that I think will highlight how poor the investigation um, has always been. So the the main allegation against Rabbi Eisenman was that he stole public money for personal use, basically that he took state money, uh, district money, and used it for purposes unrelated to the school. Now, in order to come to that conclusion, prosecutors only looked at one bank account, even though the school had five or six different bank accounts. And so even before there was a trial, we went through, meaning the defense went through all five or six bank accounts, and we parsed out public money from private money, and we showed the state definitively that there were multiples of private dollars in in all of the accounts in order to fund everything that they called criminal. So like right so right from the very beginning of this prosecution, they should have known that there was no there there. I use the analogy when we were at trial. If, if you have forty dollars, twenty and twenty in both of your pockets, you have forty dollars. You don't have twenty dollars. But the state was only looking in one pocket throughout. So at a very fundamental level, they misconstrued their own case. Hey, so I Number one, appreciate very much how you're able to take very complex uh, issues in the weeds and kind of, I see, break it down in a very, very clear way. And just to clarify this last point, it all hinges on public funds. If there would be private donations, which there are many that are given to the organization, uh, whatever he was accused of doing is a non-starter. It all all starts on the public funds. It's it's, it's 100% true. And this, again, is not me saying that, which makes this prosecution to me still so incredible, the the lead detective under cross-examination said definitively, if private dollars were used, then there was no crime. The prosecutor in his closing argument said, if private dollars were used, there was no crime. So at a very fundamental level, if, if the state of New Jersey recognizes that, then how is it that no one ever checked to see if there were sufficient private dollars. 
Instead, they just went forward with the prosecution and they lost Yakov on all of those counts involving public money. We definitively showed that private dollars were used. The only reason he was convicted, and this is getting into the weeds of those two counts, is because after the case was over, right before we were going to close, the jury instructions on counts three and five were changed to make it so that it didn't say public dollars, it said school money. So the whole the whole complexion of the case changed with that one wording change, school money as opposed to public dollars, because our whole defense was structured around there were no public dollars misused. Incredible. So I do want to get into the details now a little bit once you go there. And that initial guilty verdict, as you said, I know he was charged, he was indicted on multiple charges, acquitted pretty much on all of them other than money laundering and I guess misconduct by a public official which just if you could describe it focuses on i believe and the reporting on this has been a little bit spotty that's why we're speaking to you but there's an alleged loan for two hundred thousand dollars which they say was not paid back and there's no actual proof that that loan took place i know you're getting into the issue with the private funds and the public funds i just want to get a little bit of the background then we'll get back to that yeah so on count so there were two counts that he was convicted of count three and count five. Count five was the money laundering or financial facilitation count. Uh, count five, count three was the uh, money laundering financial facilitation. Count five was misconduct by right. corporate official. Um, the, the whole notion around financial facilitation was $200,000 in school money, which we showed as private money, not public money, but private money came out on March 13, 2015, and was returned to the school on March 25, 2015, meaning there, there was no loss of money to the school. What they were alleging, what the state alleged, was that $200,000 was removed and returned over 12 days in order for Rabbi Simon to write down a debt that he owed to the foundation, which was the funding arm of the school. Now, why is this so incredible? Because the only, first of all, there was no evidence, and Judge Payone wrote about this in his decision vacating the jury's verdict. There was no evidence that the foundation ever loaned money to Rabbi Eisenman. There was never a check, never a loan agreement, never cash going from the foundation to the rabbi. And in fact, at trial, we showed we had a certified public accountant put forward financial statements showing that the foundation, I'm sorry, that uh, that's, that's right, that the foundation owed Rabbi Simon over $350,000 at all times. So there was no loan to be written down, but really where the, the trial becomes even more incredible is that the only testimony around the write down was from the state's own detective who was interpreting these books and records that he had no knowledge of, and the state's witness, two witnesses before, said were wrong. So they put on a witness, the state did, um, to say that the books and records of the school and foundation were wrong. They then had a detective, their own detective, testify about those wrong books and records, and he testified that he saw a write-down in one loan account. And that's how Rabbi Simon, believe it or not, was convicted of financial facilitation, even though the school was out no money. 
And because he was convicted of financial facilitation, that was a crime for which he was, that was a predicate crime for the misconduct by corporate official. Right. They were charging basically that his misconduct was as a head of the foundation, he wrote down a loan to himself, which they showed no evidence of. So that was the whole trial. Right. I mean, it just sounds insane the, the way you're describing it. And uh, even with all of that, even with all of that, even if there would, would be a loan, which, like you're saying, came from this detective who had no actual evidence, even it, even so, if it had been private funds, it still would not have made any difference, right? And uh, if I understand correctly, and then the jury's instructions suddenly change to uh, basically, it's almost like deceive them where if it in fact would be private funds, then they have no right to convict. And it was private funds as far as, you know, anybody could tell. I think that's perfectly set, right? So wow. ultimately our whole defense was um, these were private dollars and private dollars, the state's own detectives said we could do whatever we wished with. We showed that these were private dollars, but because of that last minute change to the jury instruction, when we literally couldn't do anything, we had rested, we were about to close. This was a few hours before closing argument. It went from public money to school money. And there's no question, we, we, we admit that these were school monies that were taken out and put back, but they were private school, meaning private dollars, not public dollars. Now, even, and do you know why that change was made in terms of the instructions? That the change was made, um, I, I do. It was made at the request of the state. We argued against it um, and we ultimately lost. It had to do with uh, and this is now getting very granular. It, it had to do with some language in the indictment okay. that arguably allowed them to charge the this money as school money as opposed to public money. But you know, the incredible part I could talk about this as I think you can imagine for for days um, was the same money that they were calling school money in count three. They had called public money in the indictment in counts um, uh, two. And four. wow. So, so they were missed. And we made all of these arguments, obviously, of the court, but they were taking the same $200,000 and calling it public account to public account four, but school money, meaning public or private in count three. And how can the same dollar be something different across counts? Right. And uh, now, if one wonders, getting in the heads of the jury here a little bit, uh, the way you're describing the lack of basis or the lack of evidence that there ever was a loan and the fact that really the organization owed Rabbi, Rabbi Eisenman money, is the jury sitting there wondering, hey, wait a second, we don't even have proof that there ever was a loan since everything hinges on the loan? Or is that just something that confused them too much or just they, they, they weren't focusing on? So, you know, fortunately, we don't get every trial lawyer wants to know what is the jury thinking? How are they deliberating? Right. We never get a window into into that. Right. I, 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 I do think what happened here, though, at a very fundamental level is on counts three and five, the jury did not have all of the evidence the jury needed in order to get to the right conclusion. And that really was the basis of our motion for a new trial, because as incredible as everything I've said to you before was about the public dollars and the private dollars and the state not doing its investigation, what's most incredible is that the detective who talked about that write down of the loan, 
Right. He, the state, by their own admission, of course, wanted the jury to infer that it was Rabbi Simon who was responsible for that write down. And there was testimony about uh, someone named Admin who was responsible for making the entry. The state never disclosed who Admin was, clearly wanting the jury to believe Admin must have been Rabbi Eisenman because he was the executive director of the school and the foundation. However, what the state knew, and we found this out in the course of our motion for a new trial, one year prior to the trial, is that someone named Ruckel was responsible for the entry, and they didn't tell anyone. Right, she was the bookkeeper. Yeah, I, get, I did want to glance to this. I'm glad you're, you're bringing this up because, and, and I know you're not going to say this to me, everything you're describing, it almost seems like it was rigged. I mean, it almost feels just like everything was rigged to kind of uh, almost deceive the jury. But getting back to this specific, the, the, the state actually knew that uh, there was a bookkeeper who actually, because what you're describing really is an entry, whether it's into QuickBooks or whatever, some, some sort of bookkeeping entry, which alludes to this mystery loan, which never existed. And if Rabbi Eisenman himself made that entry, then even then, I guess it's debatable, then maybe you argue, okay, Rabbi Eisenman made this entry, he's responsible, and you can debate whether there's a loan. It was actually made, and now I think she's ready to come forward and say that it was a mistake, but this entry wasn't even made by her, but that's not even the point. The point is that not only was the entry made by her, not by him, the, the state knew that, as you just described, the state actually withheld that, which was a big part of why uh, the verdict was vacated. That's 100% right. That The whole theory of their case around counts three and five was that Rabbi Eisenman used his position as the head of the foundation to write down on a loan that he owed the foundation. And that was all done, as you rightly pointed out, in QuickBooks. It, it was literally one entry in QuickBooks. And the, the state was trying to pin that entry on him, either that he himself was admin or that he directed admin. All the while they knew that it was a woman and they knew that based upon a document that they withheld from us and obviously withheld from the jury. We ultimately found out about preparing for resentencing. And when we spoke to her, we found out not only was she there at the time, but she had made the quote unquote criminal bookkeeping entry. And she told us in no uncertain terms, and this was the certification we put forward to the court that this was her mistake because she was not a CPA. And more importantly, in many ways, had nothing at all to do with Rabbi Eisenman, meaning he had no role in the bookkeeping. So the whole theory of the state's case was flawed. And all the state had to do was go and interview, and they would have known that this was a, a prosecution where they were literally trying to send an innocent man to jail for 12 years. That's just astonishing. I mean, it's just it's so almost terrifying that they could get away with this. I mean, hopefully they don't get away with it, but even what they've managed to do already, I mean, just tear apart a fa family and organization. Um, what, what happens moving forward? I know every everybody's wondering, is there a chance that they don't, bring this to trial again, that they just drop it? Or is it like the prosecutor, or the, is the prosecution going to just keep at it? So you know, that, that's solely a decision for the attorney general's office. However, as you can imagine, we're going to be lobbying hard 
that they should not re-bring this case. We'll be speaking with anyone in that office all the way up to the Attorney General. I, I would certainly say that this case should not be brought because no crime was committed. Um, if, if it is brought again, I have no doubt that we'll be able to successfully defend rabbis in a trial and get a, a full and final acquittal on these charges. But I truly hope to your point that they don't rebring the case because this has been going on for five years. And all the while, not only has there been, not on Rabbi Eisenman, by the way, who is um, just incredible, as as you and the community know, in all ways, he, you know, has never a day been stressed about this case. He's always been focused on the school, always wow. been focused on the foundation. Never, when I, when I called him to let him know about the judge's decision, he, I woke him up from a nap. He, he, <laughs> he's, he's never, he's never been a day stressed about this, but his, but, but his attorneys have been, you know, I, I've been, <laughs> right. I, I've aged throughout this process. <laughs> um, you know, his family has, and, and most importantly, you know, the school has suffered unnecessarily because it, I've been to the school with him it's it's so incredible. I thought the first time that I was going to be there that it would go out the press because you're dealing with severely handicapped children. But it is the exact opposite in many ways because of what he's built. That when when he walks by these students, they light up. Everybody knows him. He has this way with with the children that's truly remarkable. And and the real sin in all of this is he's been away from the school now for several years and we want to get right. him back. We oh, want yeah. to get him back. That's appreciate. Yeah, that's a, you're right. It's a huge, huge, huge devastating loss yet to the school, to the community. Uh, I don't know if you have any final thoughts. I need to mention just speaking with first, I want to thank you for taking the time. Your time is precious and valuable and you've done such an incredible job. As I mentioned, it's probably impossible for any journalist, you know, to really capture this. That's why I really wanted to speak with you and, uh, you know, get the full story. I, I, it's almost, you know, I wouldn't believe it if I didn't hear it directly from you. But I also want to mention, you know, your clarity and, uh, I, you know, your conviction and your, your resilience and, and the way you approach this, your demeanor. There's something very special about actually getting to, I'm not meeting you in person, but speak with you here uh, almost in person. These days, this is called in person. And, I, you know, I, I, I think that on behalf of the community, we're, we're so grateful for what you've done, because speaking to you now, I see how deeply you know, you connect with this and, you know, how deep your kind of feelings and emotions and your passion lies in, in, in terms of, you know, seeking justice for, for this man, this organization and his family. No, I, I, I was just going to say, I appreciate you saying that, um, but really no thanks is necessary. Um, as you said before, Rabbi Simen is, is a truly remarkable man who's built you know, a truly remarkable legacy. So I would really want to say, you know, more to you and to your listeners that, you know, the support that we've had throughout this, um, the emotional support, the financial support, the support in the courtroom has really made all of the difference. And so I can't thank enough your listeners, the community, everyone beyond the Lakewood community, for supporting uh, Rabbi Simon and the entire defense team 
in this ordeal. It's really been an ordeal, but we would not be where we are without everyone who's listening today. So thank you. Okay. Much appreciated. Attorney Lee Varton, lead defense attorney for Rabbi Asher Eisenman. As, as I said, very much appreciated. And they will have you back one day. <laughs> thank you. My, my pleasure.